Okay. Um, Neil, uh, you were talking there about when you got shot with the, the air gun or the pelican under the eye. Yeah. When you, you did, I think it's ironic then that you, you went and signed for a label called Bang, which, which and, and you, I have read in early press releases and that, that you beat the mob. How much of that is, again, romanticization or playing with the facts? Bert Burns and co. Uh, Bert was a very creative guy. He wrote Twist and Shout and uh, uh, a number of other songs. He right. was a very creative guy, but to start a tiny label like that, I think they had to have some kind of backing. Okay. And, uh, you know, whether it was kosher or not, I, I, I really can't say. Uh, I th- kind of think not. I think they there were some guys with broken noses who right. were uh, helping get the records played. And uh, I remember very clearly there were uh, uh, they were counterfeiting singles uh, in New Jersey. My singles when they first started to hit, and uh, uh, Bert sent some guys out there to break some legs and uh, okay. you know stop that illegal a- activity okay. with some more illegal activity. Yeah, right. But that's, <laughs> but that's how the business was. A lot of the business was in New York, particularly at that time. And exactly. it goes back to Sinatra. It goes back to Como and all those people. Exactly. So you would have, it would, you would have bought into that. But was it ever a stage where it got dangerous for you? I have read that that you at one point began packing a thirty-eight, and you sent your wife and child out of the city. I did. Yeah. Um, when I left Bang Records, we just, we just after a couple of years, and they wanted me to continue doing uh, Cherry Cherry and Kentucky Woman, and I wanted to, you know, the Beatles were there, and, you know, they were showing everybody that you could really, you know, spread your wings, and I wanted to do that. I felt I had been on the road for a couple of years and uh, doing all the commercial records, and I... <coughs> I didn't want to do that anymore. I wanted to do commercial records and make people happy and write beautiful songs, but I I wanted just to uh, be a little more creative. and uh, You wanted to use th- your poetic license further. Absolutely. <laughs> I had been paying for it for a couple of years at that point. But um, the record company was not happy with okay. that, so uh, we we locked horns, and I finally said, that's it, I'm gone and uh, do what you will, but I'm out of here. All right. And uh, so I started to get th- threats. Um, you know, there were veiled and unveiled threats. Uh, I got calls from people I know saying the FBI has word that uh, the mafia is is coming after you and uh, threatening you, et cetera, et cetera, so be careful. All right. So I, I packed the 38 for a while. I sent my wife and my daughter out to little house we had on Long Island, and uh, I walked the streets with a very heavy gun. Okay. And it was loaded, too. I, I don't know what I would have done you never, The occasion never arose? Where you had the to occasion kind of... never arose, although everybody around me was threatened, too. Jeff and Ellie were threatened. My manager, who was Fred Weintraub... Uh, he was beat up, was he? At the time, uh, on the bitter end, and they threw a stink bomb in the bitter end and closed it down for three months. All right. But... Uh, f- Somehow we all got through it and survived, and uh, right. the bad guys ran away when the uh, good guys, uh, you know, came to the rescue. That all was, right. Uh, was there ever a stage because you're, you're talking to people in Ireland that uh, Bert was associated with Van Morrison, that that you were told he could kind of boost his career and stagnate yours, because he well, had an interest in both you guys around the same time. That's right. Uh, Bert brought Van on, and uh, you know he was obviously a tremendously talented guy and uh, uh, I was happy to have him on as a label mate up until then I'd been supporting everybody but it made Bert a little more independent of me 
you know, here he had this new guy who was going to take over, and, uh, uh, you know, I don't know if Van knew anything about this. Probably not. But uh, uh, the pressure was turned up on me because right. of that. Okay, all right. So you said you, were ha- you wanted to get out of Bang because you wanted to do more mature, more, more your own different style of music. So can we pick a song from that era that you say, now this is where I really began to artistically spread my wings? Well, you know, Brooklyn Rhodes uh, and Shia were, of that time. were... They were of that time. Absolutely. They okay. were not what Bang right. considered to be, you know, my kind of song. They were not Cherry Cherry or Kentucky right. Woman or even Solitary Man. They went off in a, a different tangent. They became personal. Right. And uh, the record company didn't want that. Okay, so what about where does... Uh, uh, and the Grass Don't Paint on Mine is around that era, isn't it? That's right. Would that have been one of the more mature? That's a very lyrical... Uh, Absolutely. The Grass Won't Paint on Mine never could have been written on Bang Records. Right. They okay. would have, you know... It's a staggering you know, lyric. It. I mean, you say it was kind of... That was just almost like a stream of consciousness as opposed to relating an experience you have with a young woman by a stream in the grass or whatever. Absolutely. You, you're going to say that anyway, aren't you? No. It's, <laughs> that's a, absolutely what it was. It was stream a, of consciousness. A stream of consciousness, a wish, a d- desire, right, a dream, right. you know, just an image that I had in my mind. And uh, It's a very beautiful lyric. Very poetic you. lyric. And if you don't mind, I would like to play that. I'd love to hear it again. Okay, and the grass don't pay no mind. 